You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode number 37 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Bernard Jackman. Bernard is the head coach at FC Grenoble in France and has been with the club in a variety of roles since 2012. During his time with the club, they have been promoted from Pro D2 to the top 14 to where they now have the fourth best attack in the league. Considering the club's available budget and access to national players, this is a a considerable achievement. His professional playing career includes nine caps with Ireland and four with Ireland A, along with stints with Leinster, Connacht and Sale. Uh, he played under coaches such as Declan Kidney, Warren Gatlin, Michael Checker, Alan Gaffney, to name a few. And it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So welcome, Bernard. Yeah, how are you doing, Andy? I'm good, good. Thanks for joining us. No, I'm great. Uh, I'm a big fan of the show, so nice to be asked to be on. Oh, awesome. That's, uh, that's humbling and uh, very encouraging too, so thanks very much. Um, so I went a bit into the, the backstory as a player and a coach. Can you go into a bit more details of uh, you know, your playing career, your coaching career? Yeah, I think um, I, I'm never really leaving school. I, I wasn't uh, one of those players destined to to play representative rugby, and um, it kind of just stemmed out of my love for the game. Uh, I wanted to to play to play club rugby while I was in university. Uh, I joined a club called Lansdowne, yeah. um, and just loved the old amateur ethos. And I suppose I started to develop um, a little bit later. I didn't go to one of the the big boarding schools or private schools in. in in Leinster, my school is Newbridge College, which has produced quite a few internationals. Jamie Heaslip's the next uh, is the next pupil. Right. Um, guys like Jordan Murphy, uh, Fionn Carr, etc. But we weren't a school who were who were um, in the in in the, with, a, with a strong chance of winning um, cups, and we didn't have many representative players at school schoolboy level. So um, I went to university. I was studying international marketing and Japanese uh, in Dublin City University. My plan was to go to Japan for for my third year and do six months in college, six months in work. Um, I'd hooked up with a, with a rugby club over there to, um, to play a bit of rugby um, while, I was, while I was in Tokyo and rugby went professional in Ireland. And Warren Gatland had played against me, would you believe? Um, oh, wow. He came, he, he, he came to Ireland on an All Blacks tour um, and made a connection with a, with a club in Galway called Goegians. Took a sabbatical from, from teaching, was coaching that club player coach and, and came off the bench against me uh, in a club game in March because uh, he was a hooker as well. And, and then when Ruby, when Ruby went pro in June, he remembered me and um, he offered me a contract. So I kind of got into uh, got into being a professional player by chance, but always was fascinated by coaching um, and always felt that post-playing, I wanted a coach, uh, whether that was professional level or at amateur level or something that I felt um was a really thing really good thing to do really rewarding and um i suppose i started to to try and get those hours coaching hours up uh while i was a pro and, and coached my first team which was my local team tullo which are are famous for for producing sean o'brien the irish back row yeah. um i started coaching them when i was 23 and and continued to to coach other junior clubs i suppose you know tuesday thursday nights um and they played on a Sunday, generally at junior level in Ireland, which suited 
pro games generally weren't, you know, were on Friday nights or Saturdays. So I was able to to get three days a week in with with a, with a local club or a junior club and um, just started to prepare for the position I'm in now, which obviously I'm very fortunate. I'm I'm being paid to to do what I love. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, you know, quite a quite a journey there, and early early in that coaching process, what what do you think were some of the biggest learnings that you took from uh, transferring from a player to a coach? I think it's really important to be able to adapt um, to the group that you have. You know, mm-hmm. so I was coming from I was coming from Leinster sessions, you know, during the day, being coached with Michael Checkin, and David Knox, or um, Alan Gaffney and Mike Brewer. Um, playing with guys like Brian Driscoll, um, you know Shane Horgan, Dennis Hickey, Philippe Gondaponi, yeah. you know, and obviously, going, obviously, getting great strategy, uh, great technique, uh, great, great uh, drills, etc. But they're not applicable, you know, to to the guys who who um, you know are working on a building site and coming to training at at, 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 at night. Mm. Um, you have to be able to adapt. Um, your language, you know, your content to to the group in terms of their skill set, in terms of their their body composition, in in, in terms of their their movement levels, um, mm. the time you have with them. So I think that's that's been obviously you know a really good process, and just just playing with with the language you use and the cues you give and the imagery you try and give players to explain, um, and the the level of detail. As I said, detail. You can go overboard as well, and I think um, I think I really enjoyed uh, listening to to Joe Schmidt, and and he said when he came to Claremont from New Zealand, he had a huge amount of ideas and knowledge and 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 information, but the reality was he couldn't speak French well mm. enough, mm. so he had to obviously try and just pick the most important things and give those players the most important. Uh, cues um, and that that helped him kind of get rid of a lot of the uh, the waffle in in his mind and his coaching. I think for me as well. I think that you know when you go into a meeting or when you're on the pitch, um, you got to be able to say, okay, well, what's the most important things that I can get across today or tonight um, that are going to have the biggest impact? And um, that's something that I, I, I try and always uh, declutter. I suppose the amount of things that I say. Um, to make sure that we're we're trying to hit the the points that will will give us the most impact. Yeah, that's great, and that's a, that's good good advice too to coaches out there. Just to, we all we're all so passionate about the game, we all love what we're doing, but it's very tempting to to overteach certain areas. So that, that's that's great. That's great advice. All right. Um. So so French club rugby, it's got uh it's got got a bit of a reputation of being pretty direct, pretty physical. There's some. There's some gigantic human beings running around uh, in uh, pro, pro 14, uh, in the top 14, sorry. How did that influence your approach uh, when you started co- coaching at Grenoble uh, in the early stages, uh, especially as the early stages of your head coaching role there? Yeah, I think when I came first, my role was defence. Um, my first year was defence, and obviously we'd just been, I was part of a team that got promoted, and then obviously we were favourites to, to be relegated. Mm-hmm. Um so and I, as you go up a division, obviously you're dealing with more powerful athletes in terms of your opposition. We when we got promoted, we did a small bit of recruitment, but in general, it was the it was the group that got us up, uh, which stayed up. And I, the advantage you have your first year is um, in terms of passion and, and uh, motivation. You know, for guys who spent most of their career in Pro D two, 
watching, you know, Stade Francais or Toulouse on TV, um, when they get up there and get the chance to to play against them, um, they generally play above themselves because mm. you know every week is the biggest week of your of your career to date, and it's your chance to play against internationals. Uh, but what we have to make sure is that technically and tactically we're and I suppose physically as well that we're we're, we're bridging that gap. Um, but we we would have been focused on. On, on trying to stop the threat early. So in terms of my role as defence coach, um, you know, we were very much a, a chop tackle team and uh, trying to bring a lot of detail into into our work around the, around the ball in defence because if we let teams with, with better athletes and, and probably more talent than us uh, play off quick ball, well then um, it was going to be always difficult. So mm. we had a very basic, quite a, quite a close game plan. I would have thought that we're... We put a lot of uh, focus on our on our kicking game. We didn't really take any risk and attack, um, and leave ourselves open to being hurt on on turnover ball or counter attack. Um, but as I became head coach, I, I suppose I looked to try and become more uh, creative, keep the ball for for longer periods, and back our back our attack a little bit more, um, which has had you know really good results in terms of our attack, but probably has cost us um, a lot of points in terms of our defence as well because we have been taking risks and we have been exploited on turnover ball. And, and also, I think that we probably need to work on our on our conditioning as well um, to make sure that we're able to play that high-tempo type of footy that, that I want to play and that I probably would have grown up with, um, you know, being coached by... By guys like you know, by uh, by, guys, by coaches like uh, Michael Check or or Jim Mallander, who I had it when I was in Sale Shark. So mm. there's been a, a big push to try and improve our conditioning, our skills, and our technique all at the same time, which I think is going to be um, the ingredients we need to to play that high tempo rugby, which I think works in France. I think that mm. in France, as you said, a lot of a lot of the the teams are focused on big is big is better, um, and certainly. Fitness mark, fitness levels are questionable in most of the clubs, except for probably Clermont, um, and that's that's something that you know if we get right, uh, I think we can we can really probably make up for the lack of budget, make up for the difference mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of uh, salaries. Yeah, it's, it's ironic that you you spent some time with Connacht as well. It kind kind of sounds like a similar story that's going on there with uh, the way they play and the the challenges they have as well on the the budgetary side of things. Yeah, I think Connacht is a great example of um, everybody buying into into Pat Lamb's philosophy, mm-hmm. and um, even when they're criticised and even when results don't go their way, they back themselves and back what they do week yeah. in week out. And I, I think it's brilliant to see that. I think it's been it, it's something it's a harder challenge here because you have such a mix of of backgrounds and philosophies. So yeah. you know, you know, I came through the Irish system. Uh, you know, eighty percent of the people of the players in the Connacht dressing room, Leinster dressing room, Munster dressing room, or Ulster dressing room have a similar philosophy about how to play the game. Right. Um, you come to France and um, you have a huge mix of of uh, nationalities and philosophies, and it's brilliant. It's a great challenge, and it makes it probably more enjoyable because you have to convince, um, you know, uh, a Fijian and a, and, a, and, a, and a guy from the Basque region or a Parisian. Um, that this is the best best way to to go forward. So you effectively you have to become a salesman, um, mm. and you know that's that's good because if you want to try and sell a philosophy or an idea, 
you need to understand it inside out and you need to really believe in it because when the questions come, you need to be able to convince because players will, will suss out a little bit of doubt in, in, a, in a millisecond. And, and uh, uh, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy, I enjoy the, the ability or the times when, when it's challenging, when you have to, I suppose, um, there's been a negative result or there's been um, a few negative results or, or, or questions are being posed and you got to be able to, I suppose, reconvince them that mm-hmm. um, this is the right way forward. And that's what being the best thing about coming to France for me is just that getting out of dealing with probably people who all believe in the same way and, and trying to trying to uh, to build a, a project here uh, that's unique to us, but you know, is is uh, something that we can be proud of. Yeah. It's, so it sounds like. Um... You know, having a rock-solid team culture is really important in in that process. And I've heard you talk about that before on off the ball. I think it was last year. Um, what what are some of the ways you you've looked to set up that team culture and and most importantly maintain it? Look, I think that this is my first year as being head coach and director mm-hmm. rugby. So mm-hmm. um, up to now, I've been very much focused on. Uh, I suppose the the on-field stuff. Um, whereas over the summer, my director rugby. He moved on, and probably for the last three or four seasons, I've been pushing to um, the fact that we don't, we didn't really have a strong culture. It was very much based around uh, when we were winning and playing well, everything was great. And then once once we got a few bad results, I, I suppose the the cracks started to appear. So mm-hmm. in the preseason, in the preseason, we we worked a lot about trying to formalise that that culture and what it means to be part of of this group. Um, try to align that. Uh, you know the history that's that's that that's happened in the past in, in the club and and some of the teams that have gone before, but also trying to get guys to realise that you know we we are fortunate enough to play in, in this club or to work for this club for a, a short period. Even the guys who who can last, who can you know have ten years here, it's still a short period in our mm-hmm. lives. Um, and what do we want to remember for? And um, what values and what beliefs are important to us? And but for them to for them to come up with that themselves, because uh, as I said, there's no, I don't think I can go and 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 spend a, a weekend thinking about what our culture should look like, and then go in and present that as a as a given. I think it has yeah. to come and be agreed upon by everybody. And and we did a lot of workshops. We we you know we spent a day um, a day a week during our preseason for for six weeks um, going through a process that led us to having a. A leadership group that was that was voted by the players that was based on on the people who corresponded with the best in our group to the values that the the group agreed upon and that's been great because we've had a we've had a very difficult season we had financial issues uh, in September mm-hmm. where the players were asked to take a pay cut um, and that created uncertainty uh, in the group it it led to probably some of the richer clubs starting to to attack our players who were yeah. who were under contract but had clauses and um, if we hadn't we've had you know we had a really big injury injury crisis early doors we started the season with 22 players injured oh uh, then we had suspensions and we've had a lot of we've had six games where we've lost by less than five points so oh, wow. we've had a, we've had a lot of blips and honestly I can say that if we hadn't spent so much time in trying to make sure that the group understand understand how we need to behave. What's acceptable in terms of attitudes and behaviours, we would have 
we would have cracked and uh, we haven't cracked and we're we're actually getting stronger as the season goes on and uh, I, I actually believe that we'll we'll stay up this season and that will be based a, a lot around our ability to to stick together under pressure uh, and that's going to be something really exciting because if we can stay up uh, we'll attack next season with real momentum and, and a much better group and a much more unified group so um, it's been it's been incredibly difficult uh, but it's been. It, when, when we get to the results that we deserve, I, I think it'll be incredibly rewarding. Yeah, that's great. And I think uh, I think you, you just came off a win from uh, Stade Francais. Is that right? Yeah, we got a win last weekend we, mm. uh, against Stade Francais. We probably should have got... In France, It's um, we scored five tries, but unfortunately, we conceded three. And in France, you have uh, to... You uh, got to win by three. Yeah. Win by, by three. So, yeah. listen, uh, as long as we win, we've nine, we've nine games left, five at home. Um, we already have six bonus points. Um, it's about getting those Ws, and and I think we got a lot of confidence from, them, particularly the manner in which we we won the game. We, we, we manned up up front. We were very strong at set piece. Um, we implemented our our kicking strategy to a to to a T, and uh, we were we were very dominant in the collision. So they're the they're the things you, we're going to need because we mm. we play against six of the, six of the best teams at home, and um, if you don't have if you don't have a, a strong set piece and um, confidence in your collision work against teams like Racing, Clermont, Toulon, um, it's incredibly difficult to win. So yeah. we, I'm very happy that in the areas that we've been working on for the last four or five weeks, we've uh, we've shown big improvement. Oh, that's great. Okay, on, on to another topic, um, the new tackle laws. Um, how, how have they been applied in the top 14? And what, what advice would you give coaches on areas they should be trying to address uh, in in their practice practice sessions as a lot of a lot of clubs would be starting their pre-season now um, in Southern Hemisphere, uh, and even some Northern Hemisphere teams. What what would be some advice you'd give them? Oh, I just think you got. I think we need to work usually as coaches on our on our tackle technique, and I think that that's something that is best on live. You can build up to through different drills in terms of tracking and uh, you know using tackle bags, but re- the reality is. Uh, I believe to get better tackle, you need to tackle. Now mm. you don't have to do 15 on 15. I, I believe in 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 part whole part. So mm-hmm. or you know you work you work a technique. You know you, you try and make it into a you try and use it again and replicate it in a game like situation. Um, and then you know if there's a if there is a lack of quality, then you go back to the to the original drill and you make sure people understand. But I think it's good for players to get a certain amount of live tackle work in. Each week, and then it's a case of getting that body height, body height down. I think that, um, and also I think that the risk of of, of going high um, in terms of the effect it can have on on a result, apart from the effect of, of safety, is you know it's it's a card, it's a yellow card now, um, and we all know that you know teams concede on average of well at Super Rugby level and, and top fourteen level more more than six points a, a game, uh, during those ten minutes. So. Mm. For me, it's the first thing starts with tackle technique, and then secondly, it's that line integrity, um, because it's often not the primary tackler who who gives away the yeah. the penalty for the high tackle. It's often that catch up the catch up defender or the inside defender um, who is ducked under and has been corner flagging, and that's why he's in a poor position to to get his body height down. So a huge amount of work on on that that line integrity, particularly from the inside, uh, because it's often that late footwork um, that catches. Uh, the the tackler and that's where he's prone to to make that to make that infringement. Whereas if you have 
really good confidence and really good communication, really good body shape on your inside defender in particular, and obviously mm. your 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 just defender. Well, then um, I think that with with good tackle technique as a, as part of your program. Um, I, I, I see no reason why the new law should really affect it. and it should be maybe it's just the encouragement coaches need to to, to put more time into, yeah. into affecting the, the skill yeah I, I think so and I, I honestly think like coming from a rugby league background in my, my junior days I think uh, any any coach with a rugby league background has probably got an advantage there because that's that's how you're taught to tackle in that game especially especially the smaller blokes yeah massively I've been lucky enough to have um, worked under a lot of, of league coaches or, or ex-league players who've who've come into the game and uh, I think that that's been a huge advantage for Ruby Union is their knowledge and their expertise of, of the tackle area I think before you know when I was when I was uh, learning to play the game or probably probably when I was coaching at the start you know we taught you know doing a drill where you, you, you tackle sausage bags was a was a was a tackle technique drill yeah. in defense session uh, whereas you know, if you look at uh, the influence of, of rugby league coaches and now rugby union coaches have have started to analyse um, you know what goes into being a uh, you know a, a good tackle technique. Now I think we have a huge amount, we have a lot more information on hand, and, and we're able to give players much better cues and much better detail around around um, that that area, and it's a key area of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And how's it been rolled out in the top fourteen? I think the problem, yeah, it's been. It's been, the problem in top fourteen is that um, games are are refereed with, um, often based on the reaction of the crowd, mm-hmm. and um, so games in France France can get away in you very quickly, particularly away from home, because mm-hmm. uh, the referees seem to be and the touch judges seem to be influenced by by the crowd. So if you go high in France, um, <laughs> it, can, it, it you know it's, it's sure it's going to be a yellow card, which is which is the, the nature of the law. But it's the it's the effect after that. It's the it's the fact that the team are probably kicked to the corner mall, and you know it's very hard to stop a, 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 a mall in France without infringing. That can mm-hmm. lead to another penalty, and suddenly you, you, you know you can be really, 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 really struggling. So it, the worry for me is that, and it's part of something that happens a little in France because of the fact that game is, is so full of emotion. Mm-hmm. Is if players play act, you know, yeah. I, I hope yeah. that I hope that doesn't that doesn't come into the game because it's something that the world rugby. Um, and, and the French referees uh, uh, in the preseason debrief, or sorry, preseason briefing said they're going to be really hard on players who who who, who simulate um, an injury, etc., from from an active foul play or an, ac- an accidental active foul play. I just think that high tackle, you know, if teams want to buy a penalty late in the game, um, it's very easy for the ball carrier to to dip and dive and. and uh, the, you know, the tackle player may, might have had no intent. So I haven't seen much of that, but I will be afraid that as we go into the tail end of the season and games become even more pressurised because of the pressure for, for coaches and players to make top six or or to, to not be relegated. I hope that, you know, a club's fate isn't decided by, mm. by that. And I certainly hope the coaches aren't um, advising their players to, to, to do that. Yeah, that would be that would be a sad day, I think, and uh, you know, hopefully, the integrity of rugby itself um, can can withhold those kind of uh, situations. Yeah. Uh, what what about um, more positive opportunities as a result of a law change? O- often, when there's a law change, we see uh, things open up in other areas of play. Do you see any areas that teams could attack uh, based on the new um, tackle laws? For sure, I think that um, if if coaches are logical in their thought process, they're mm. going to 
push their players to uh, to lower the body height of the tackle because you don't want to take that risk. And mm-hmm. a lowering of body height of tackle is going to open up opportunities to play on your feet, to offload in contact, and uh, to use the fend more. Um, and that'll help you, obviously, you know, get that foot foot through contact. So I think that as coaches, if we're if we're looking to adapt our, our content in terms of our um, our weekly plan, uh, I think we need to be looking at. Um, Working the offload more, giving players better, better cues uh, and better exercises, and 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 working on the, the things that help you help you get through contact, which is footwork, obviously late, as I said, that leg drive and and that that use of the fend, and then our support players, their running lines and, and awareness of, listen, you know he's getting his hands free, there's something on here, and, and getting excited and flooding through, flooding through the uh, the area of the ball and and looking to very much go up to guts then mm. so that's something that that should hopefully uh, arise if, if if coaches adjust their their defensive defensive tactics well then for the attacking coaches i think there will be more opportunities to offload okay great oh that's great advice all right if someone was to come along and watch a session coached by you what, what are some of the things they'd, they'd see and hear during that practice i think if it's match week i think uh i would hate to see um, some of my session being being dictated or being or being used up by stuff that wasn't relevant to that match. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me as a as a head coach of a, of a top fourteen club or a pro team, uh, my content has got to be very related to um, to the game we played that weekend. I think that for guys who are out of the group um, or at the end of the session when there's little skill blocks, that's when you can get into the development stuff. But um, in terms of the team. Team time, um, collective sessions. Well, then it's got to be very focused on how, what what we can work on that's, that's going to help us win uh, this weekend. Mm. So um, I'd like to think my sessions run uh, logically from from one area to the next. And as I said, there's that part whole part yeah. um, where we get into definitely, and we do we do a lot of fifteen v fifteen or or fifteen v thirteen or, or different scenarios. But the players get a chance before that to actually. Um, to work on the on on the different mini parts that uh, we're expected to execute, and we like to we like to explain things. So we 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 uh, we start every day with a briefing, um, and that's a, a quick debrief of of the day that just pa- the day we just went before, and then obviously what's in, what's what's important for for the day ahead of us. But anything that we want to introduce or talk about. At training that day, we'll we'll bring that up in the in the in the briefing, and we'll speak about that in the, in the classroom as such, um, to try and limit the time on our feet mm. on the on on the set on the pitch, and to give the players the information they need so they can process that. They have time to to come see me or the other coaches. Um, we have an application that we 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 publish all our all our detail on, so they have two or three hours before we get on the pitch. Um, to make sure they understand um, diff- what's expected of them in terms of different roles and responsibilities, and then we got to just go on and, and execute it. And obviously, there's going to be for new things, it takes a while, and, and you have to you have to be able to stop and, and explain. But mm-hmm. we try and make sure you know we're only on the pitch twice a week, um, generally for 50 minutes in terms of our our team attack, team defense. So wow. it has to be high energy, has to be high tempo, and as I said. The gift we have and the opportunity we have is that we have lots of time off our feet where we can explain, teach, and um, make sure that 
that everyone is is aware of of what's expected of them. And I think that I'd like to think that as well that um, I, I, there's positive encouragement um, mm-hmm. for for things that are done well. Um, but there's also uh, acknowledgement of of poor attitude um, and errors based around lack of knowledge or roles if it's been explained. You know, I think that there's a skill deficit um, or there's lack of understanding. It, lack of understanding because of uh, a change at the last moment in terms of strategy, then that's my fault or my coach's fault. Mm-hmm. But if there's a poor attitude um, or work rate, well, then that's very much the player's, the player's fault. All right. And your favourite part of the game to coach, uh, what, what would that be? And what, what are some of the examples of activities or drills that you, you call on regularly? I think um, it's bizarre. I started off as defence coach here because mm-hmm. it was it was the it was the opportunity that was here. Mm. Um, it's certainly not something that I I think about. You know, uh, when I'm lying in bed, I think I think um, I, I like defence, but I love attack, and um, I'm always trying to trying to sim, uh, simulate what would stress the defence and. Um, I've really enjoyed taking over responsibility for our team attack. Mm. I think that we have. You know, we've pretty good detail in place. I think that considering uh, we don't have a great set piece statistically, um, and we probably most people think that attack is down to um, buying in, buying in. I suppose international players or or gifted gifted talent. Uh, I actually don't believe that. I think that your systems and your structures will create the opportunities. I think that's what Connacht Connacht have done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they totally. haven't the best talent pool in in Ireland or or the or the Pro Twelve. But last year they managed to. To win the competition by having better detail than than the others, so we spend a lot of time working uh, and understanding how to how we can manipulate the opposition defence, and probably something that we're spending a lot more time is in is is on is um, when you don't by not keeping the ball in hand and exploiting that space in the uh, in the in the backfield mm-hmm. and really trying to manipulate their. Uh, their pendulum and, and their cover in the backfield, right. uh, trying to get get their scrum half into the front line and open up that space for a chip, and that's probably something that I have probably evolved around. I think two years ago it was kind of that mentality, like a little bit like Australia, uh, don't kick the ball away, mm-hmm. uh, just keep the ball in hand. Whereas now we're looking to see, and we probably picked up and did a lot, a lot of analysis on on the Highlanders and the Hurricanes over the last two seasons, and just a variety of 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 the kick pass, so it's not kicking the ball away. It's very different from, I suppose, the the Jake White mentality of of just kicking mm. the ball as long as you can. Yeah, and and uh, and being able to play opposition territory. We we want to be able to exploit and pressure that that backfield, but we can do that by 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 running and keeping the ball in hand or or run kick. Um, and we're 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 trying to get better at that. So we do a lot of drills. Sorry, we do a lot of scenarios where we manipulate the. The backfield or, or the front line in defence, um, and hopefully get our our decision makers to to be able to adapt to that. And and then we we obviously the beauty is you know we let things flow while we're training, mm. uh, but then by having you know obviously everything filmed from different angles, uh, we can get our our navigators in in the in the in the next morning and and start to talk through that and see what cues they saw or why why they did decide to do something or why they didn't. And then, you know, if it's execution, if it's an execution problem, um, well, that's just a skill, a skill deficit. But if it's, if it's a decision-making problem, did he understand, you know, uh, 
what the defence were doing. And also, also, was it a vision problem? Did they see what the defence were doing? So we found that we've got really good progress in terms of our ability to, to spot these things. And the players aren't just relying on me to get a message on after 20 minutes through a, through a, a water carrier that the defence have changed. And mm. uh, obviously that's my job as a coach to try and uh, give those messages on. But the ideal scenario is my, my number 10 or my number 9 or my 15 has seen that after 15 minutes and it doesn't take five minutes for me to get that message on. That's right. All right. Um, last question before we do our final four questions. Um, how, how do you go about uh, developing professionally? We had uh, Stuart Lyric on the show last episode and he spoke really highly about how um, your, you exemplify long, lifelong learning. Um, what, what are some of the things you do to, to keep developing and keep getting better? Um, I suppose I read. I read about rugby. I, I try and listen about rugby. Um, you know, I question people. Uh, I suppose I, I listen to. I either I'm either spending one day a week in the car recruiting, or else mm. if we play away from home, if we, if we play away from home, or I'm on a bus, train, or, or airplane. So I have that opportunity to to listen. Um, I suppose to, to podcasts like yours. Uh, I, I follow a podcast called Finding Mastery um, okay, with Michael Gervais. Yeah, Sports Coach Radio. Um, is another is another interesting podcast. So while I'm while I'm looking at footage, um, I, I I tend to listen to to other other sports experts and, and try and pick up. A, I read a lot, um, and we have a very open door policy where uh, it's probably not a week goes by that another coach from from Fran- within France, from a lower level, from Germany, from Italy, or Southern Hemisphere. Um, they visit us and then during our off season I've been lucky enough to spend um, I spent a week with the Crusaders a week with the Chiefs a week with the Highlanders a week with the Blues I spent a week with the Reds with you and McKenzie I spent a week with the Stormers um, I've just been lucky enough I suppose to to be allowed to go look at other environments and, and uh, question people and I've, I've an inquisitive mind and I've a, I've a hell of a long way to go I'm Mm. I wish I was a better coach, um, and I wish I was a better manager. But I, I, I want to, I want to try and uh, not have to make as many mistakes as probably you know a, a guy with a with a with a closed network would make, and he mm. he learns from mistakes. I'm trying to, I'm trying to fast track and and pick up little nuggets of information wherever I can to to try and give my players the the best environment that we possibly can. Oh, that's awesome. That's an awesome attitude too, and I think. Uh... You know, a lot of a lot of coaches are are doing things like that, and I think uh, I think the age we're coaching in right now is is phenomenal with the resources Absolutely. we have. So we've got to we've got to tap into them for sure. All right, we we always end the show with the same final four questions. Um, when you were a kid growing up in Ireland, um, who was who was one of your favourite rugby players going around? Uh, my favourite rugby player was was Keith Wood. Yeah, um, yeah. obviously, uh, <laughs> challenged like myself, yeah, but uh, yeah. he was just. Uh, he was just a guy who who played with unbelievable passion and a bit a little bit unorthodox. He liked to carry the ball, and I I, I like I had a similar style. Um, so he was a guy that I play I, I looked up to when I was, I suppose, eighteen, nineteen. Then got a chance to play against him, and then got a chance oh, wow. to play with him. So oh, wow. that was uh, with Ireland. I toured Ireland, South Africa with him, with Ireland, and I was involved in in quite a few Irish training camps with him. So inspirational guy and a, a great player. Um, and the player I look up to the moment. Uh, is Bowden Barrett just in terms of his his all round skill set and mm. he just makes the game look so easy. So um he's a guy as I said we've tried to evolve our our ability to to play that attacking kick. 
mm-hmm. and uh, he's a guy who who who's mastered it. So um, he's somebody I really enjoy watching. Yeah, absolutely. And even even though died in the wall Wallabies fan, I, I you can't help but enjoy when he just opens up and puts the foot down or or does a cross field kick like you mentioned. It's 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 just a pleasure to watch. All right. Um, what about uh, what about a high profile coach um, that you that you like watching what they do and get get some ideas from? Um, I love Eddie Jones. I was lucky enough to when he was mm-hmm. coaching Japan. I spent uh, I spent a couple of days with with Japan uh, while they were in France and just seeing him close up and just seeing how strong strongly he believes in in, in his message. And uh, uh, then obviously he's been able to go to England and and, and play a different type of game and. Uh, again, just get the best out of out of players through um, through a no nonsense style of, of of management. You know, I, it's interesting hearing him saying how he speaks to how he tells people they're they're not playing. He just keeps it as short as possible. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He just you know, if they're not meeting his requirements, well, he, he said he says spending a half an hour explaining um, isn't really necessary. He just wants. He seems to be able to guess has that ruthless enough edge that he gets the most out of people, yet he's incredibly popular and incredibly uh, charismatic. And uh, I really think that the job he's done with England um, is phenomenal in terms of you know getting that consistency and mm. making that England squad not, let, not rest on her laurels and, and getting back to, to having that old kind of arrogance about them. So Eddie Jones is a guy that uh, I, I, I would love to be... Um, I would love to be able to watch him in in closer action again. Yeah, no, I, I he comes up often. Uh, probably every second question answer is uh, for Eddie Jones and Jones yeah. But the thing as well is, I mean, yeah. he's had the great thing. Imar is he's had bad days. You know, yeah. he, he shipped ninety points as as coach of the, of the Reds. He he mm. had to leave Australia, um, and he didn't lose faith. He, he, no. he his self belief stayed strong, and now he's back on top of the world. And that's um, I think for us, you know, they say. You know, as a as a professional coach or as a coach, you get hired, you get fired, and um, I think that unfortunately, there's been really good coaches who didn't stay on the on on the circuit and uh, um, weren't able to recover from a setback. I think mm. if you're in this game long enough, um, unfortunately, a setback is is probably um, guaranteed. It's just how you react to that and and the next step you take. And mm. um, I think Eddie Jones, you know, he's not like if he was just always successful, I think um, it wouldn't be as good a story. And, and uh, I, I love the fact that he, he rebounded from from disappointments, but still, still is is at the top of the ladder. Yeah, absolutely, couldn't agree more. All right, and then who's who's last question? Who's a who's a grassroots coach who doesn't have the the profile of Eddie Jones um, that that you think's doing really good work in the community? Yeah, there's a really good guy. Um, he came to visit, contacted me on Twitter about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a former, he was in the Exeter Chiefs Academy, but injury curtailed his career. And he, he moved to Kenya um, to work in a private school as a, as a, as a dean and, and coached a rugby team. And uh, he got involved a little bit with, with a club side over there. But he, he contacted me and asked, could he come to Grenoble to, to spend a week? And um, honestly, I've, I've probably learned more than him, from him than I have from anybody else. And yeah, I still, right. still, I still often send him, um, say to him, "Oh, listen, we're playing, we're playing Toulouse in three weeks. Will you have a look at him for me?" And the detail <laughs> and the, the analysis he, he sends me is is, is as good as uh, a lot of a lot of coaches who are working in the program. So wow. I just just last week, I think he got 
he got drafted into the Kenya Sevens as a as an as as an assistant coach, and um, he's a guy that he's 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 inquisitive, but he knows the game, and he's he's working hard to try and to try and get into the pro game, and uh, it's a battle because you know yourself. Unfortunately, it's easier for ex ex pros to mm. um, to get in, and it's not fair, and it's no. It's no. It's, being ex pro isn't any uh, uh, any proof that you're going to be a good coach. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that seems to happen. Whereas he's a guy who's who's really doing the hard yards, and I believe he's going to be a phenomenal coach. Yeah. Sorry. What was his name? His name is Will we- Will Will Webster. Will Webster. Okay. Great. I'll I'll definitely look him up and uh, who knows, get him on the show for a chat. Sounds like uh, he'd be he'd be a good one. All right. Well. Thank, thanks very much, Bernard, for giving up your time and uh, wish you all the best uh, with Grenoble's uh, tail end of the series and season and, you know, really hoping that uh, you get the results you want and that, that Grenoble's able to stay up in the top 14. And, uh, yeah, again, thanks very much for, for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, no worries. Okay, cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.